as we are diving into last words, last week we spoke about being confident as we go through our challenges, go through our struggles, and we are taking the picture of Jesus as he is being crucified on the cross, as he dealt with his toughest moments, betrayal, Judas at the table, and all kinds of moments and disastrous times that happened upon him. But the way he carried it, the way he weathered through it, I believe that we can learn so much from just the life lessons of Jesus. He, he just kept it cool, cool and smooth. That's my Jesus. And so um, he said, that's right. Hello, somebody. Fist bump. All right. And so um, when we're diving into last words, um, this week we're stepping into the last installment, which is part six of last words. And so um, I'm so grateful that we get to dive into God's word. And, and this season and this week, we're going to talk about letting go, letting go. Turn to your neighbor and say, let go. Have you ever had to? Have you ever had to let go of something? Oh, yeah, your motorcycle. I remember that. Or that classic car that you've been dreaming to fix in your garage. It's been there for about mm, 10, 15 years. Yeah, 40, 30. Yes, that's a long time. Let that dream go. Um, how about for some of you, that old leather jacket, and it used to smell like leather. Now it's taken on another odor. What about, for some of you, maybe it's those, you know, an, an old jersey and that you can't fit into anymore? Well, for me, I had to let something go, and it was very near and dear to my heart, and they were, yeah, you guessed it, flare jeans. I don't need an amen corner, Pastor Sean. And so flare jeans, for me, it was my, my thing. I carried that puppy for like a decade, okay? I know. I, and I tried to convince my family, tried to convince my family that they were still in. And they said, oh, no, Mom, it's, it's over. You have to just kill it, bury it, and let it go. So I had my overly bedazzled pockets. And you remember buckle back in the day? If you're still buying those, those jeans, let it go. Walk away. Just walk away. I had overly bedazzled pockets, and I had the mini bells, the boot bells, the, you know, the mini flares, oh, you name it. I had them all, all flare jeans, and it, it was nice, all various colors and shades and blue, baby blue, blue seafoam blue, um, uh, deep blue, midnight blue, and I loved the fact, oh, oh yeah, don't hate on my baby bells, uh, I love the fact that I could buy all of those colors, all of those shades, all of those, you know, various types of flares in my favorite designer. Oh, yeah, you guessed that right, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> and so I love my flare jeans, and I love the fact that the way they fit, and it just reminds me of the promises of God. He upholdeth me. He upholdeth me and keeps me close. Those were my flare jeans. And so I love the fact that, in every, especially when I'm wearing flare jeans, the way they feel when you're walking to the car, swish, 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 swish. And especially when you're walking through the mall and you, you hear that, you know, swishing sound and it, and it feels like you're just walking on stilettos and, 
you know, all of your boots and your flares, and it just looks like all together. Yes, those are my flares. And so one day, I remember it was a dark and stormy night, and I was in my closet, and I started looking through my jeans up in the upper shelf of, of my closet, and I was wondering, oh, this, this is going to be the day that I'm busting out my flare jeans, and I, I don't know which ones to choose. And lo and behold, I hear the pitter-patter of feet. And it was my four daughters, teenage daughters. And as they walked into my room, I heard an ominous voice, and it was Pastor Sean's voice. And I thought, oh, they're coming in to talk to me. We're going to have family time. They're going to come and tell me how I'm so loved, and they, I'm the best mommy in the world, the best wife. Oh, no. Not today. So I, I heard Alexandra. She said, Mom, just come out. She took me by the hand. She sat me down at the foot of the bed. And I started looking around. And, and all of a sudden, they started conversing with me and telling me about all the negatives about my flare jeans. And I knew exactly at that moment what this was all about. This was an intervention. And so they started talking about, Mom, you have to let go of the overly bedazzled jeans. And I started, my heart started beating. I started getting anxious. And so they started talking about, you know, it's time to give up those wide flares. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And something rose up within me. And I became indignant. I was so upset. And I said, family, don't mess with my emotions. And I said it just like that. And so I stuck my finger in their faces and I said, oh no, not today. And so they proceeded to tell me and Pastor Sean looked at me and said, Diana, it's time to let it go. And so, of course, I had to listen to my husband. And I sat there and I started contemplating, okay, it's time to let go of the flare jeans. So I got up, went to my closet, got all six pair of my flare jeans, took it to my bed, started wrapping them up, put them in a package, and I thought, okay, if we're going to cut loose, we're going to cut it clean. So I thought today would be the day to let go of my flare jeans. I took them in the van. I went down by Lowe's and um, uh, area. I, I believe it was Home Depot. They had a receptacle of how to recycle your clothes, and I went in there, and I pulled out of the van, I opened the shelf, placed my jeans into the bottomless pit called the Recycling Center of Clothes. So I closed the shelf, opened it up, and I saw that they were gone, gone, gone. <laughs> and I closed the shelf, left that area, extremely disappointed, went into my car, and I decided I'm going to head home. So I was going towards home. And I started to make a left, went straight, turned to right, parked my car, got out of my car, went through the double doors, and yes, I did, people. I went to Kohl's again. I went over to the Jennifer Lopez brand and bought myself six more flare jeans. Just kidding. I went with the skinny jeans, Pastor Sean. So maybe what you had to let go of is not necessarily like my weird just fetish of for, for flare jeans. 
Maybe it could be other things. Maybe you've experienced some of those moments where you had to let something go. And for you, it may be this. Number one, I want you to write this down in your notes. It could be children. Either you've adopted children, either you have foster children, either you've received neighborhood children and you've made a space and made a, a place for them to live in your home. You're walking through life with children and you're learning how to let things go. You're walking through them through little infancy. They lear lear learn how to walk and talk and all of a sudden, they graduate into elementary school, middle school, high school, and then you're beginning to launch them off and let them go into college to become grown-ups. And your season in life all of a sudden becomes no longer a trainer in life for your children, but it quickly shifts to being a coach. And so letting go is already in the design, how God designed in our lives through children. And secondly, I want you to write down marriage. Marriage. You had to learn to let it go. Let go of your mom, finally. Let go of your dad. And then bind your hands to another partner's hand, your spouse, your husband, your wife, and begin to walk together and learn to let go of one life in order to become, become a family unit. And so you learn how to be a husband. You learn how to be a wife. And especially learning how to be a parent, learning to let go of emotions, learning to let go of that argument yesterday, learning to let go of hurt feelings, learning to let go of cares and worries. And then all of a sudden you entered the third season, which is this, nearing the end. You lived more days, more lives, and there's more days behind you than in front of you. And some of us, as we walk through life, we're not really thinking towards those days. We think we're going to be invincible and basically live forever. But for many of us, if I could share this one little story, I will never forget Sandra, my mother-in-law. She said this before she ended her days. She said to her parents and sat them down, and these were her last words to them. She said, you taught me how to live, but you also taught me how to die. In other words, if I could just dig in a little bit deeper in that phrase, you taught me how to start in life, you taught me how to live a full life, but you've also taught me how to close this life and enter into the new one. And so as we're looking through this picture, Jesus knew what letting go felt like. He knew exactly what it felt like to let go of his friendships with the disciples, Learning to let go of his mom at the foot of the cross. Learning to let go of his best friends, John and Peter. Learning to let go of people that were still in need of healing, that were still broken. They were still messed up, brokenness, hurt, disgust, betrayal, and wanting to stay a little bit longer here on planet Earth to resolve all of this. But he chose to let go. And so as we're diving into Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Pastor Sean set this whole series uh, based upon the scripture, and we're going to dive right into it. And it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it. And because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, the hurt, the betrayal, the embarrassment, the humiliation, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, 
right alongside God. And so when you find yourselves weak in your faith, fragile in your faith, broken in your faith, your faith not being supported through these tough times, he says, I want you to go over the story again. Look at it again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility, he plowed right through it. And that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In other words, he started this life, he lived this life, and he finished his life well. Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through 46, we're going to dive into the statement number seven in what Jesus said would, would, what would be his last words. And it begins like this. It was now about noon, and darkness came over all the area of the whole land until three o'clock in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple torn in two, and Jesus on the mountain called out with a loud voice from the cross saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Statement number seven. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Being committed to something takes guts. Being committed to something takes some brave, some brave soul to kind of trail through and stay there and stick it to the end. And for Jesus, he did that on the cross. And for many of us, we need to learn this as well, to let go and be committed to the end. Letting go and giving something in Jesus' hands and begin to walk away and know that he has it handled, taken care of. In his hands, you can trust that. And for many of us to let go, there's a big adversary, a big obstacle, a big thing, an obstacle to overcome and the biggest antagonizer of this thing, of letting go, the opposite of that is to worry. Worry pulls up all kinds of emotions inside of us. It's taking control when you're supposed to let go. And as we're looking at this, I want you to write down the first thing of worry. We're going to kind of do forensics on this. Worry is irrational. Worry is irrational. You can't talk it out of its situation. It's very intense. It focuses on what's insignificant instead of what's meaningful. Putting our eyes on the trivial instead of what it has measure, substance, and worth. And so as we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, whether you have enough drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more valuable than clothing? Let me put it this way. Isn't your life more valuable than the tuition that's in your bank account that you're waiting to see whether it's going to be taken or not? Isn't it more valuable than that? Or isn't it more valuable than the extra protein shake that you're just dying to drink? Or what about the clothes, the clothes, maybe Kate Spade or, or um, Palomino or whatever the designer that you are craving for. Is it you, aren't you more valuable than all of these things? 
and your life is more valuable. The bigger picture is this. If I could put your focus on some of the particulars that God wants to deal with you when it comes to worry, Jesus is trying to tell us in the bigger scope, in the bigger picture, for some of us in the family worship room, it's beyond us. That little trivial thing that you're wrapping your mind around, laying in bed, wrestling, trying to figure it out, God says that is not as important as the bigger picture. It's trivial when it's put into perspective. We invest so much negative energy in the things that are just meaningless, things that are not significant, and we waste away in our fears, we waste away and drown in our doubts, we waste away and we become so sick because of the insecurity whether Jesus can handle it or not. And so as we're looking, all of the energy that's spent, we spend so much energy on such negativity that we begin to carry those pressures wherever we go. We begin to carry the pressures for our children. We begin to carry the pressures of our family. We begin to carry the pressures of finances. We begin to carry the pressures whether the stock market's going to go up or down, whether Trump is going to do it or not. I'm not sure. But the thing is, I can trust that God is going to handle it. I want you to write down the next phase. Not only is worry irrational, but worry is not normal. Yeah. Worry is not normal. It's not normal for you to worry. Amen. And I could prove it in Scripture. If you could see it in Scripture, it will open your eyes to how the enemy has lied to us. Spent years, hours mental energy, mental real estate on stuff that's not, not worth thinking about. And so it says here, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, is he says, I want you to take a nature study. I want you to look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you more valuable than all of the animals, all of the agriculture, all of the uh, vegetation, all of the things that you're seeing here on planet Earth? Aren't you more valuable? Your worth as a human being, more valuable than those things? This is Jesus speaking. He's trying to make a point. We're consumed with all of this worry. We're consumed with all of this pain and frustration and anxiousness. And so I want to propose a question, maybe an illustration. Have you ever seen maybe a begonia, a petunia, maybe tulips, wringing their hands saying, oh my gosh, winter's coming. I'm going to die. Spring's coming. I don't think I can make it. I've never seen any plant, any tree, any vegetation. Never seen them do that. How about a bird knocking on your door? You know what? Hello? Yes, I haven't seen you at the pond lately. I was concerned about the breadcrumbs that you normally leave for me. I was wondering, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of counting on that. You're, you're mainly consistent, but you're kind of slacking there. Never seen a bird do that. Never seen a crow do that. Never seen a pigeon do that. 
But the thing is, in all of humanity, we have seen in all of God's creation, human beings worry. Human beings worry nervously, feverishly, sweating over things, stressing, anxiety, pressure. And most of the illnesses in today's world is caused by worry and stress. And we make ourselves sick. In fact, I believe all of the things that you see when it comes to human beings worrying, we learn it from somewhere. We learn it from someone. And that thing has taken a grip on us. Like an octopus with tentacles, it wraps its tentacles around us and then surrounds us and pulls us in. And we can't let go. And all of a sudden, we pass it on to our children, to our students, to the next generation, all for them to be raised in this atmosphere of worry, fear, pressure. And you raise a whole generation that is so insecure about their identity, so insecure about their security, so insecure about what's going on on the planet. They have no place. They have no no expectation that God is going to pull through for them. Why? Because they learned it from mom and dad. And so as we look at worry, let's take it even a step further. I want you to write down worry is unhelpful. It doesn't add value. It's always a negative in your life, never a positive. It pulls at you. It's not making a deposit. It's making withdrawals from your life, from your mental real estate, mental capacity, your heart, your blood pressure. Let me tell you, when it begins to pull at you, all of a sudden these other things begin to rise. But it's the negative things in your life. And as we're looking at this, that it's unhelpful, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And it says this, you cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. Let me read it again. Because the word, the word of God, it's simple words, but it's bold words and it's impactful words. These are Jesus' words. And there are other scriptures. Oh, he heals. Oh, he blesses. Oh, he's magnificent. Oh, he's resurrected. But there are these scriptures. It's like it's teaching us and it's screaming and shouting at us in this culture. He says, you cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. Let me dig just a little bit deeper. It does the opposite. It shortens our life. It poisons our life. And it pollutes the way we think and move through life. The way we move through a room. The way we move through, you know, situations, conflict. All of a sudden, it becomes a negative in our lives. And then there's some stress. There's some, there's some stress in life. I'm not negating the fact that you have natural stresses. Maybe at your job. Maybe pressures um, at home, finances and all of that, there are natural pressures. But why compound the situation with stuff that you have no control over? And the thing is, when you compound, it begins to, like finances, compound interest, it becomes a negative, And it becomes negative in multiplication. It just compounds and compounds and compounds. And then all of a sudden, us men, us women... We begin to carry that weight, and we begin to be crushed 
by the heaviness of the load of worry. And just so I can, you know, drive this illustration home, in 2002, October of 2002, when we planted Fellowship Church, um, that was in October, several months we were um, planting, we had um, four children under the age of three at the time, three, two, and one-year-old twins, and we started this great adventure of church planting, and so we started with a group of 100, and we started to build the church. And January of 2003 rolled around, and I started to notice in my husband's physical uh, manifestations that he began to have um, stomach issues. And this issue of his stomach was an ongoing issue since he was a young kid. It just accelerated when we started planning the church. Little did I know that it had some source being worry. The source of that thing was worry. So as um, January rolled through, um, there was an episode that happened. He was so sick, doubled over in pain, that he was in a fetal fetal position on the bed, and he could not get up, just buckled down in pain, so extreme. And he has a high tolerance for pain. (laughs) But that did not come from me, okay? But in this situation, he was on the bed, and our friend, uh, who was a percussionist at the time, he was an RN, and he, I called him, he came over, he dressed my husband, he picked him up, carried him into his car, and drove to Mount Diablo Hospital to the ER. And I didn't know what was going on. We were frustrated because this was beginning to progress a little bit more. And it's so inconvenient, especially when you're trying to build something. For many of you, it's building in maybe a, 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 a business. Maybe it's a career. Maybe you're building, you know, a, a life with your family. And now you're a blended family. You know what that looks like for you. But for us, it was building the church. So as we're walking through this, um, my, uh, my friend stayed with him through the night. He was observed. There, there was nothing that they could do, only to discharge him with now extra meds to come home with the same pain. Now, this did not happen just once, not twice, but four to five times throughout January of 2003. It was so aggressive that one day my mother-in-law came down with my father-in-law. I was at home. We had the babies. I was trying to find a sitter, and he was heading, headed towards the hospital. And I will never forget being in the hospital room, seeing the tubes that they were trying to shove down. They gave him Demerol to, make, to calm him down just to pull out the tubes because he was just angry and frustrated, hurting, in pain, bleeding profusely. And I'll just leave it at at that. He was admitted to the hospital, in the bed, frustrated. You know, he could not eat. He could not drink. They were doing tests, and some of the tests and x-rays, some of those tests would show up that he had an obstruction in his colon. Only for it to turn around to go back to take the same x-ray, and now it was healed. He had liquid on one of his organs. They were going to put him in surgery, but only to take another x-ray to show that it was no longer there. But all of these things, it was happening during this crazy, crazy time. So um, he was walking through this, They finally found out it was ulcerative colitis, but it was linked to, and little did I know, to worry, stress. 
When your body comes under pressure, your mind and you in spirit, you think you can handle it. But let me tell you, there's a whole side to your body chemistry that can't handle it. Your body comes under that pressure. And so when we, he was in the hospital, he was, you know, just talking to God. And I remember the numbers of the church went from 100 to 50 to 20. And now in 10, 15 people during that time. And he was concerned, worried. And finally, I was praying at home. My mother-in-law was praying in the hospital room. I was asking God, God, what is going on? And finally, I felt as if God spoke to my heart. And he said, Diana, it's not unto death. It's not unto death. And I held on to those words as we were walking through the toughest season in our lives. And so when we, he was at the hospital room, um, God was speaking to him. And the Lord told him, you need to let go. And God began to do a work in Pastor Sean during that time. Little did I know, it just, these worries happen because of other people's worries. It shows up in phone calls, it shows up in texts, it shows up in emails, disgruntled people, you name it. All those things, just as they're worrying about little things, those little things became huge things in my husband's world. Be careful what you speak to one another, people. So as he was discharged, the Lord healed him of that ulcerative colitis. But when we got home, I had to deal with um, a junkie on my hands, so to speak. Duragesic patches, morphine patches, prednisone, everything. Just to, as he was walking through this, I was at home walking through the cold sweats, the hallucinations, the um, getting up at night, extreme highs, extreme lows, walking through all of that. And believe me, I love my husband. But seeing him in that kind of pain, I never want to wish that on anybody. So when we were at home, I, I distinctly remember being discharged that um, the previous day, that Saturday morning, he was not in bed. And I found out that he was on the corner of Hillcrest and Deer Valley with a huge old-fashioned fellowship church sign that says, come to fellowship church. Our, our service times are this time. And I'm like, you have no business advertising for fellowship church. <laughs> Only for one of my family members to see him, get him in the car, take the sign with him, showed up at my house, and he said, Diana, you know, um, Sean's not doing well. I said, I know. <laughs> it's his heart. It's, he has heart. So um, to make a long story short, one, another incident that happened was that as he was walking through that, um, he would hallucinate during the nighttime sweat profusely, and he would go to my daughter's beds, pick them up, only to put them in the middle of the hallway and go straight to bed and go through all of the detox that he was coming off of those duragesic patches, you know, prednisone, all of that stuff. And those are things that people don't tell you about. And let me put it this way. This is a cautionary tale. These are the unreasonable effects of worry. And I'm telling you this because you don't have to learn this in a hospital room with white sanitary walls. Learn it now. Be free now. Live now.
let's, let's, let's dissect it a little bit further. When, we, when I'm sharing that, I, I, wanted, I wanted to show you a picture of what real worry looks like. Some of, us, some of us don't understand the effects of it, that it can cause on our children, in our minds, on our physical bodies. But God wanted to teach us through Jesus how to let go, how to release. And some of the things that it can show up, the worry, it can show up through phone calls. You know that person downloading all the awful stuff and for you to carry that to bed now into your relationships now into you understand what I'm saying and it's a constant appetite and you give ear to that without you know without giving permission to stop it and say you know what let's go to the Lord in prayer some of us we we receive it through texts some of us through activities some of us were just conditioned by crisis. We're so conditioned by crisis that we don't know what normal feels like. We're always in a constant whirlwind. Always, oh, you know, activity upon activity. And then there's an empty part of your schedule and you're like, oh, there's a crisis over there. Let me deal with that. Deal with your own stuff. You have one marriage. You have one set of kids. Deal with that. Worry, worry, whirlwind, chaos, all of that. And God wants us to not pass it on to our children, to our grandchildren, and then for them to grow up and they adopt our behaviors and it becomes there and it becomes second nature and they repeat the cycle over and over again. I want to teach you to entrust and place it somewhere. All of your worries, all of your cares, because I know we all have them. All of us do. Whether it's our children, our education, whether it's finances, whether it's our home, whether it's our job, whether we don't have a job, whatever that looks like for you. Some of us, we have spouses that have come back from overseas for fighting in the, in the military and all of that. They did their tour, and some of us are worried, concerned, because they're changed. And I'm here to tell you, don't worry. God has it under control, and he takes all of our worries, and if I could show you a picture, and this is what the Lord showed me, taking those worries and putting them in the shelf of Jesus' life, because when you tuck it in there, he keeps it, and I want to teach you how to back away and let it go. Don't go back and try to pull it out, and then read it over again, and then put it back and then back away, and you repeat the cycle over. Just leave it there. Last thing I want you to write down. I want you to be free. And this is the way to be free. I want you to get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Matthew um, chapter 6, verse 31 through 32, it says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts, and this is the key phrase, unbelievers. They dominate people that don't trust Jesus, that don't love Jesus, that haven't put their trust in, in a Savior. But you, all of you, I'm staring at you, looking into your lives. But you, he says, your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. He knows what you have need of. He knows the prayers that you're constantly ruminating over. He knows exactly what you have need of. And the secret to this is confidence in letting go. Consistency, for me, it's a big deal. And I know for many of you, reliability, it's currency. 
And I have put my trust, my worries, my cares in a Savior that promises that he has everything under control. And so I can back away. I can back away, and it's that last phrase that haunts me all the time when Jesus was on the cross, and then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's that one last descriptive phrase. He breathed his last. He went, you know what that's a symbol of? It's the ultimate exhale of life, the release in life. 